Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Brian, your host. Thank you for coming to the podcast, The Church of the Mortal Self. No, it's not a real church. I just wanted to call it a church when I started because we are trying to get to our higher self. Recently, I've been reading self-help books and... uh, bringing people closer to their goals and having the material positions or the time that they want. Um, you can find the notes and the, and, the, and the quotes that I read in the link on the podcast description here on this podcast. Thank you. So everybody knows about SMART goals, or if you haven't heard of SMART goals, that means um, specific, measurable, actionable, trackable goals. Those are real concrete goals. But what if you want a more map, more of a map to your goals? Well, so then that SMART goals don't fit everything because everything can't be trackable, actionable. But um, if you wanted a roadmap, I see this primer goals. Let's put the link in the description. Is um, is is the primer goal setting method is a real um, cool way of setting goals, and I like it. Once a month, I review it. Um, and let me read. Um, let me read to you what the book here by Diamond Zaharias uh, says. Are you sick and tired of goals of setting goals that rarely pan out? Are you frustrated with pursuing dreams that never come to pass? If so, you'll love the primer goal setting method. Imagine knowing you can accomplish anything you set out to do. Imagine pursuing a new skill, a coveted promotion, promising relationship, a toned physique, or financial independence without a shred of doubt that you'll succeed. This can be your reality. You can learn how to set goals that always bear fruit. Moreover, you may be surprised by how simple doing so is. So basically, the primer method is pretty cool. Um, Let me go here. Hold on just a second. Goals. So, um, what that stands for is pinpoint high, highest priority ambitions. So you go through your ambitions and you pin it, write down your highest priority ambitions. Then you refine those ambition, uh, ambitions, um, into more manageable steps. And then you identify the actions you need to take. And then you can do, uh, I I added this, moon goals. Like big goals, huge goals that might come, that you might want to do every day. But they're really big goals. And then uh, milestones. You write down the milestones on those goals. And then you need to modify your environment to accomplish those goals. And then you revisit the 
and then you revisit those goals every month, every week, every day, whatever you think. And then you write a list of small steps to help you achieve your goals. So um, I hope you like that. I really um, enjoyed uh, reading this book. I, I want to read more books from this guy, Diamond Zaharas. Zahara Diaz. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm sorry, Damon. But um, he's a real good author, and the book is real good. There's a link there on po podcast description. So that's um, it for part one. I will be talking about The Obstacle is the Way. It's a good book that I've been reading um, after the break. Okay, about a little digest about The Obstacle is the Way about from Holiday Ryan. So let's see here. Goes on to say, we decide what we will make of each and every situation. We decide whether we'll break or whether we'll resist. We decide whether we'll assent or reject. No one can force us to give up or to believe something that is untrue, such as that a situation is absolutely hopeless or impossible to improve. There is no good or bad without us. There is only perception. There is only the event itself and the story we tell ourselves about what it means. What such a man needs is not courage, but nerve control. Cool-headedness, this he can only get by practice. Theodore Roosevelt. Would you have a great empire? Rule over yourself. Publius Cyrus. Publius Cyrus. Does getting upset uh, provide you with more options? That's a good one to think. If something bad happens to you and what, what not, and you want to get upset, does it uh, provide you with more options? If what's up to us is the playing field, then what is not up to us are the rules and conditions of the game. Factors that winning athletes make the best of and don't spend time arguing against because there is no point. To argue, to complain, or worse, to just give up, these are choices. Choices that more often than not do nothing to get us across the finish line. The trick to forgetting the big picture is to look at everything close up. Chuck Palahniuk. The point is that most people start from disadvantage, often with no idea they are doing so, and do just fine. It's not unfair, it's universal. Those who survive, survive because they took things day by day. That's the real secret. It doesn't matter whether this is the worst time to be alive or the best, whether you're in a good job market or a bad one, or that the obstacle you face is intimidating or burdensome. What matters is the right now is right now. 
Remember that this moment is not your life. It's just a moment in your time, in your life. Remember that this moment is not your life. It's just a moment in your life, page 48. Our perception is determined to an incredibly large degree what we are and are not capable of. In many ways, they determine reality itself. When we believe in the obstacle more than the goal, which will inevitably triumph. That's been highlighted 1,414,506 times. What if uh, conventional wisdom is too conservative? It's this all too common impulse to complain, defer, and then give up that holds us back. Laura Ingalls Wilder put it, there is good in everything, if only we look for it. It's our perceptions that are the problem. They tell us that things should or need to be a certain way. So when they're not, we naturally assume that we are at a disadvantage or that we'd be wasting our time to pursue an alternate course. When re really, it's all fair game, and every situation is an opportunity for us to act. It doesn't matter what happens to you or wh where you came from. It matters what you do with what happens and what you've been given. We don't have the luxury of running away, of hiding, because we have something very specific we're trying to do. We have an obstacle we have to lean into and transform. No excuses, no exceptions, no way around it. It's on you. Therefore, we can always and only greet our obstacles with energy, with persistence, with coherent and deliberate process, with iteration and resilience, with pragmatism, with strategic vision, with craftiness and savvy, and an eye for opportunity and pivotal moments. Are you ready to get to work? So when you're frustrated in pursuit of your own goals, don't sit there and complain that you don't have what you want or that this obstacle won't budge. If you haven't even tried yet, then of course you will still be in the exact same place. You haven't actually pursued anything. We talk a lot about courage as a society, but we forget that at its most basic level, it's really just taking action. Once you start attacking an obstacle, Quitting is not an option. It can, cannot enter your head. Abandoning one path for another that might be more promising? Sure, but that's a far cry from giving up. Once you can envision yourself quitting altogether, you might as well ring the bell. It's done. Consider this mindset. Never in a hurry. Never worried. Never desperate. Never stopping short. Now to the Bhagavad Gita, or the Gita as it is. Chapter 2, text 1. We'll be going through this every once in a while on this podcast. Um, basically, it's a story of a war between good and bad and the promises of, our, of Krishna 
helping Arjuna. Arjuna is the charioteer of Krishna. Um, Arjuna's brother, his Arjuna's uh, cousins and his uncle and stuff are on the other side of the war. And so when we're talking about this big war, Arjuna is com- complaining that he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to fight um, this war, but it's a war of good and bad, and and Arjuna and Krishna has to teach him why it's important to fight on with life. Sanjaya said, seeing Arjuna full of compassion, his mind depressed, his eyes full of tears, Madhusadana Krishna spoke the following words. Purport. Material compassion, lamentation, and tears are all signs of ignorance of the real self. So material compassion is is the key here when I read on. Compassion for the eternal soul is self-realization. The word madasaduna is significant in this verse. Lord Krishna killed the demon Madhu, and now Arjuna wanted Krishna to kill the demon of misunderstanding that had overtaken him in the discharge of his duty. He didn't want to fight. No one knows where compassion should be applied. Compassion for the dress of a drowning man is senseless. So forget the clothes, just rescue the man, right? In this, um, similarly, um, the dress is the mortal body. Similarly, a man fallen in the ocean of science cannot be saved simply by rescuing his outward dress, his material body. One who does not know this and laments for the outward dress is called a shudra, or one who laments unnecessarily. Arjuna was a kshatriya, and this conduct was not expected from him. Lord Krishna, however, can dissipate the lamentation of the ignorant man, and for this purport, the Bhagavad Gita was swung by him. This chapter instructs us in self-realization by analytical study of the material body and the spirit soul, as explained by the Supreme Authority, Lord Sri Krishna. This realization is possible when one works without attachment to fruitive results and is situated in the fixed conception of the real self. There's a lot of a lot of talk in the Krishna religion, Hindu, that you I said this before that you're entitled to your work, but you're not entitled to the fruits of your work. Basically, be happy one way or another. Um, if you have to do something to get it done, be happy about it. If you have um, a bum leg or in or are in 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 bad health, you know you can have a full spirit. You can have all the fruits of of a happy soul even if you're in physical pain 
So I think that's one of the things that it was talking about today. Okay, so I decided to read a little page out of the Daily Bread. If you're a good Christian, good Bible-thumping Christian, then you should definitely get our Daily Bread. They're just an absolute awesome resource for Christianity and Christians. I don't consider myself a Christian because I do not believe Jesus. There was no Jesus. It was Emmanuel. It says in the Bible that the angel says name to Mary, name your son Emmanuel. So I don't know. I mean, I do know. I say this before whatever it was hail Zeus because the Catholic Church wanted to wanted to coalesce the beliefs. Um, I do not believe that uh, Jesus or Emmanuel died for our sins. He died because of the sins or because he was a radical politician, a radical, um, radical, uh, had radical thoughts. He had radical notions and the people and the people killed him like like they said they killed him for his beliefs and his thoughts um as far as jesus being the son of god i believe there is a king of the solar system and it's possible, and 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 I believe that that was the entity, that was the spirit that we're talking about, the king of the solar system, and he's going to be the king of the solar system, while I send the greedy people to Pluto, and if greedy people can't decide, can't start treating others as they want to treat them, as they want to be treated or love one another as themselves, then they're going to be really unhappy in the next life. And if all the, all the uh, reincarnations that they have prove to them that they cannot be happy without taking rights, taking, um, taking, negative energy on other people then they will go they will see the king of the solar system and the king of the solar system will say oh well not have you not only will you not exist you will never have existed to begin with so i'm i'm grateful for the thought that that i will exist after i die and for the thought that i'm immortal Krishnas believe that they are immortal and there's definitely past lives. Interesting thing about Christianity and past lives is that it's totally mute on the subject. Jews, um, as far as I'm understanding, Kabbalistic Jews, the, the hardcore Jews, they believe in reincarnations. So why, if we're a sprout off from the Old Testament, why, why are we totally silent? And it's and it, and we talk about Moses being transfigured. We talk about um, Jesus himself being resurrected, getting a new perfect body. How come our spirit can't come in and go through, burn off the karma, create new karma, 
and learn basically until we will be happy in our perfect body for billions and billions of years until we get bored and decide to ascend basically okay so i'm reading wednesday july 28th is it wednesday today yeah it is wednesday july 28th god's love is stronger in 2000 in 2020 Alyssa mendoza received a surprising email from her father in the middle of the night message had instructions about what to do for her mother on her parents 25th anniversary why was this shocking Alyssa's father had passed away 10 months earlier. She discovered that he'd written and scheduled the email while he was sick, knowing he might not be there. He had also arranged and paid for flowers to be sent to his wife for upcoming years on her birthday, future anniversaries, and Valentine's Day. The story could stand as an example of the kind of love that's described in detail in Song of Songs. Love is as strong as death with jealousy unyielding as the grave. Comparing graves and death to love seems odd, but they're strong because they don't give up their captives. However, neither will true love give up their loved one. The book reaches the speak in verses 6 or 7 describe marital love as one so strong that many waters cannot quench it. Throughout the Bible, the love of a husband and wife is compared to God's love. Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. God showed his love for us by sending Christ to face death so we wouldn't have to die for our sins. Whether we're single or married, we can remember that God's love is stronger than anything we could imagine. Julie Schwab How do you feel knowing how much God loves you? What reminds you of his love for you? Get those good endorphins going. Dopamine levels, knowing that God and Jesus loves you. Burn those chemicals.